BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, 10 Republicans joined House Democrats yesterday to impeach Donald Trump for inciting a deadly insurrection at the Capitol, making him the only president in our nation's history to be impeached twice. Among those who did not support the effort, the need for unity and healing and concerns about the divisiveness of impeachment were often cited as reasons. But can the nation unify amid its deep divisions, mistrust, and fear of political violence? What is necessary for unity? We'll get your thoughts after hearing the latest news from Washington. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Central Valley Congressman David Valadeo was the only California Republican to vote in favor of impeachment yesterday, calling President Trump's actions in relation to last week's insurrection abhorrent and un-American. House Minority Leader Bakersfield's Kevin McCarthy tried to say the president was culpable, while McCarthy also argued against impeachment. Most Americans want neither inaction nor retribution. They want durable bipartisan justice. That path is still available, but is not the path we are on today. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. In the end, 232 House members, including 10 Republicans, voted to charge the president with inciting a violent insurrection against the U.S. government. Joining me now is Andrew Desiderio, congressional reporter for Politico. Andrew Desiderio, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. So the House voted to impeach the president yesterday for a second time. Now all eyes are on the Senate, which must hold a trial. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell reportedly has not ruled out supporting a vote to convict. What are you hearing around that? Well, Mitch McConnell, as you mentioned, uh, has sent a letter to his Republican colleagues, essentially urging them to keep their powder dry. Uh, Unlike the last impeachment, there is no one really at the leadership level who is urging Republicans uh, to, you know, oppose conviction of the president with regard to this impeachment trial that's upcoming. And what we're seeing is uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, one of the president's top allies, is pretty much freelancing, trying to call around to Republican senators and ask them to oppose convicting the president 
while the White House remains largely absent. And Mitch McConnell, obviously the top Republican, is leaving the door open to voting to convict the president. So I think, uh, you know, so goes Mitch McConnell. uh, So goes the result of this trial. I mean, if he votes to convict, I think you can definitely see the requisite 17 or so Republicans that would be needed uh, in order to reach that two thirds threshold to convict the president. And then after that point, decide on what the penalties will be. Yes. So McConnell's actions are significant. Who would be those other 17 Republicans? I mean, Mitt Romney was the only Republican to vote to convict last time. Um, We're hearing a few senators say that Trump may have committed impeachable offenses. I mean, which Republicans do you think will cross over and and why? Well, if Mitch McConnell votes to convict, I think a lot of his uh, top deputies in leadership, like Senator John Thune, Senator Joni Ernst, Senator John Barrasso, Senator John Cornyn, for example, will likely follow suit if that's the case. Uh, And you will probably get a lot of the more institutionalist senators on board as well. But in addition to that group, you know, there have been others who have spoken out uh, on their own volition against the president's actions. People like Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania, who is, of course, retiring in 2022. And then you have Senator Mitt Romney, who you just mentioned. And on top of that, Senator Lisa Murkowski, who has actually called on the president to resign. And then, of course, uh, Senators Ben Sass and Susan Collins, who uh, you would expect uh, would vote to convict the president, though they haven't really shown their cards uh, too much at this early stage. So I think there's a wide variety of senators that could vote to convict the president. Uh, I just really do believe that the way Mitch McConnell goes on this will will determine the end result of it. Uh, If Mitch McConnell opposes convicting the president, I think you could still have between five and 10 Republican uh, senators uh, vote to convict. But what you're basically describing then is not necessarily a genuine sense that Trumpism, for example, has been bad for the country and this president's actions uh, amount to an impeachable offense. Uh, Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, I think a lot of Republicans are thinking about this in terms of what's the best way to move on from Donald Trump. Obviously, he still wields significant influence within the Republican Party uh, and among the Republican base. Those are, of course, the same voters who have helped put all of those Republican senators into office themselves. And Republicans are obviously trying to win back control of the Senate in 2022 after losing it in these, uh, as a result of these Georgia runoffs the past, uh, in, in, within the past couple of weeks here. So that, those are all important considerations uh, for McConnell and for his uh, rank-and-file Republican senators. This Senate trial that will take place will have Chuck Schumer as the majority leader. What particular challenges does Schumer face, do you think, Andrew Desiderio, as he he deals with this trial, this impeachment trial of a president who will have left office while also trying to advance President-elect Joe Biden's agenda? Yeah, I mean, that's the main concern right now. There are a lot of Democrats coming out and saying, look, we need to make sure that this impeachment trial isn't so all-consuming that we can't even confirm Joe Biden's cabinet nominees and start work, for example, on another coronavirus relief package. Those are things that are going to be super important for Democrats to hammer home in the opening days of the Biden presidency. Of course, this lame duck period has not been been used uh, by the Senate to confirm Biden's nominee ahead of time like it has 
for past incoming presidents and past lame duck periods. So Biden is already starting behind when it comes to standing up his government and staffing his cabinet. So a lot of Democrats are really concerned about what this means for the Senate's uh, efforts to quickly confirm that top rung of cabinet nominees for Joe Biden. I'm talking about positions like Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State, Treasury Secretary, Attorney General, Director of National Intelligence, and all the other very important cabinet positions uh, that are going to have to be confirmed here within probably the first month of Biden's presidency. Andrew Desideria, before I let you go, can I just ask you what the mood is like, the relationships are like? I know you're covering the Senate, so I guess mainly in the Senate, because we've just been hearing about such distrust and even fear among colleagues in the House. I mean, some worried about uh, colleagues even having played a role, uh, their right wing, more right wing colleagues, Democrats being worried that they played a role in the insurrection. Uh, also, you know, some members of the House not willing to go through metal detectors and Speaker Pelosi having to discuss a fine. I mean, what what would you say the mood is like, and particularly in the Senate, I guess, since that's where much much of your attention has been? Yeah, it's very tense. I mean, the Capitol here is, is, is very fortified. It's very militarized right now. You get a sense that, uh, you know, something something big is happening. And indeed it is. We're inaugurating a new president next week. But inaugurations are not usually like this here in Washington. It's not usually, um, you know, obviously it's a heavy, heavy security event. But the fact that we have more troops stationed here at, uh, on Capitol Hill than we have in the Middle East right now is very unsettling. I mean, the mood is, is tense. Uh, and obviously you have some Democrats accusing Republican, their Republican colleagues of helping to sort of aid this insurrection somehow. Now, we haven't seen any specific evidence of that yet. And those claims should be investigated before uh, they are sort of propagated more widely. But, you know, I think it's a legitimate concern among many Democratic members of Congress based on these closed door security briefings uh, that they have gotten. And it's something that uh, I think will be a theme here going forward, at least through the inauguration, as Washington remains, again, a very heavily fortified and militarized city right now. Andrew Desiderio, congressional reporter for Politico. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the reporting that you do. Joining me now is Eva Patterson, civil rights leader, co-founder and president of the Equal Justice Society. She also co-founded and chairs the California Coalition for Civil Rights. Eva Patterson, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Paul Waldman, opinion columnist for the Plumline blog at the Washington Post and senior writer for the American Prospect. Paul Waldman, also appreciate having you here as well. My pleasure. Paul Baldwin, I'll start with you. I mean, so 10 Republicans voted to to impeach the president yesterday. Do you see those votes as a possible attempt at a reconciliation or or at least an acknowledgement that the president or, or that Trumpism generally has been bad for the country and that there is some desire to try to rid the party or at least distance the party from the worst elements of it? Or do you still see this as just a purely self-serving political calculation? Well, I think those particular Republicans feel that. The problem is that they are a small minority within their party. I mean, let's not forget that 139 members of the House, all Republicans, just hours after the Capitol building had been overrun by a violent pro-Trump mob, went back into Congress and voted 
to reject the electoral votes uh, of um, one or more states. They were, in effect, telling the mob, you were right about that. And one of the, the extraordinary things that's happening right now, and this is something I wrote about this morning, is that you know we have this old expression that sometimes people in Washington say that the Democratic Party hates their base and the Republican Party fears their base. And that used to mean that people in the Republican Party were afraid of challenges from the right in primaries, afraid of, you know, that that they would get in trouble for uh, for the things that their base says that's intemperate, things like that. But now they are literally feeling a fearing for their lives. There are multiple people who have said that either they've spoken to colleagues or they've spoken to multiple people who have said that, you know, I I didn't want to vote to uh, reject those electoral votes. But if I didn't do it, I'm afraid that they would come and kill me and my family. Literally, that is what, what what's happening right now. People in the Republican Party feel that their base is uh, kind of captured by this murderous, violent ideology. And they think that if they don't go along with it, they could be killed, not just lose their seats, but literally killed. So uh, that's the one of the legacies of Trumpism. And yes, you have plenty of people in the Republican Party who would like to turn away from that. Some of them are kind of courageous enough or have the feel like it's in their uh, it's they have the political space to do it. But a lot of them are just too afraid. Um, and then, of course, you have people who are sort of opportunists, people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who think that they can kind of ride that tiger, that they can direct and constrain those violent impulses and use it to their own advantage. Um, I guess time will tell if they're right, uh, but the, they, it, there isn't a lot of reason to believe that, 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 they are, that they can be contained in a way that isn't incredibly dangerous for the country. Well, with these differing views and the fears that you describe, I mean, where does that leave the prospect of any kind of reconciliation or healing for this nation? That's what we'll be talking about as this hour continues. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We can't have unity without Democrats and Republicans agreeing on facts and stopping repetitions of lies that incite various segments of the country. Hi, this is Elaine in Castro Valley. We can't have unity without hope for both our individual and collective futures, a common sense of purpose and opportunity to achieve that purpose empathy and respect for each other's differing viewpoints, and a willingness to listen to each other, respect for facts and a focus on critical thinking skills to help people navigate the splintered partisan information found on social media, and a willingness for self-reflection and personal accountability on both sides of the divide. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We asked our listeners to finish this sentence, we can't have unity without. And what you just heard were answers from listeners Robert and Elaine, sharing what they think needs to happen in order to unify the country. We're talking about this also in the wake of calls for national unity from Republican lawmakers in the wake of last week's insurrection and the House's vote yesterday on impeachment of President Trump. And also with that being a message also among the Democrats, or at least President-elect Joe Biden in terms of the need to unify the country. And we're asking you, our listeners, to tell us what you think it will take. What do you think is necessary at this point to unify the country? We're talking with Paul Waldman, an opinion columnist for the Plumline blog at the Washington Post and senior writer at the American Prospect, and Eva Patterson, a civil rights leader, co-founder and president of the Equal Justice Society. And you, our listeners, can join us by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Eva Patterson, I'd love to get your reaction to statements like this one from Republican Tom Cole in the House of Representatives yesterday talking about why... Uh, he does not support an impeachment action against the president of the United States for inciting an insurrection against the U.S. government. And while we try to get that tape, um, basically, I can tell you in summary what Cole was saying is the fact that, you know, oh, actually, we have it now. Let me play it for you. I can think of no action the House can take. It's more likely to further divide the American people than the action we are contemplating today. Emotions are clearly running high, and political divisions have never been more apparent in my lifetime. We desperately need to seek a path forward, healing for the American people. So it's unfortunate that uh, a path to support healing is not the path the majority has chosen today. Eva Patterson, what do you hear in a statement like that? Um, I've had to meditate all morning in order to be calm in the light of statements like that. Where were calls for healing when the Senate jammed through the um, confirmation of Amy Comey Barrett when we were just days away from the election? Um, This seems very um, disingenuous because they've never wanted to heal any breaches before this point in time. The the progressive part of the country has been crying out for healing for four years when young children were put in cages, um, when all the horrible things were done by the Trump administration. And while they felt they were in power, the Republicans were happy just to let things roll along. And what I was thinking is if somebody breaks into my home and kills the people in my house, am I supposed to do healing with them? No. No. Now, I think there are people in the middle. I come from a military family and I've stayed in touch with my friends from high school. And there are a number of them who are diehard Trump supporters. Some of them go along with the QAnon nonsense. But yesterday I heard from a Trump supporter who said, I don't support what happened in the Congress. This is awful. So I think we can unify with the people who are reasonable, I think we can also unify with the people if we can tell them Trump lost the election. He's been lying to you since November 3rd. And if we can if we can have um, conversations with people like that, there can be healing. I can't heal or unify with somebody carrying a Confederate flag 
through the Capitol and with people who beat a Capitol police officer to death with a fire extinguisher. No, no. And when, what do you think are the elements? I mean, the fact that there are people that you're saying you can unify with, it's because to some extent, it sounds like there is an agreement, at least, that what happened in the Capitol was wrong, but not only that, but the sentiments that drove what happened at the Capitol are also wrong. Well, it's very tricky because the sentiments, there were multiple reasons for for what happened in the Capitol. There were white supremacists, these boogaloo boys, they've been wanting a civil war for a long time. So this was their moment to strike. So they have no um, standing to, to have any discussion with anybody who's reasonable. There were then people who bought the big lie from Trump that the election was stolen. I remember when I was a freshman in high in college supporting the war in Vietnam, and I said, well, the president says the war is right, so I'm going to support the president. So there are people like that. Um, and then there are people who are just... Um, disgruntled, who don't like the fact that both parties have not really looked out for them. Look at the recovery from COVID. The big money went to businesses, not to um, ordinary folks. So there's a mix of people who were in that um, mob. And the people who can learn that, yes, the election was not stolen. And if the Democrats can prove to working class people that they care about their interests, we can come and have common ground with those people. There can be no common ground with white supremacists and uh, anti-Semites and the like. No, no, they need to be prosecuted and put in jail. And maybe to go to Mr. Waldman's point, maybe if some of those people are in jail, the Republicans will feel that their lives are not in danger. Paul Waldman, what do you hear for example, in statements like Tom Cole's that we just heard, that really impeachment, trying to hold the president accountable, only you know ends up furthering fu- furthering the fueling of political divisions. Yeah, it helps us kind of home in on what different people mean when they say we should now have unity. Well, uh, what Republicans want to do is use it as kind of a bludgeon against President Biden so that they can say, well, we can't have any kind of accountability for the things that happened in the Trump administration, because that would be divisive. Uh, And they will also say when Biden is trying to push forward the agenda that he ran on, that we can't do that either, because that's divisive. That doesn't promote unity for you, Joe Biden, to do the things you want to do. Only if you do the things we want to do, will that promote unity. Um, But that's the problem with unity. There, There are a couple of problems. First of all, It takes two to tango. So Joe Biden can't create unity by himself. Uh, If either party decides that it doesn't want unity, then you don't have unity. And Republicans know very well from the experience of the Obama years that they can gain a lot of political advantage by just opposing everything that the president wants to do and creating gridlock. The person who will be punished for that is the president and not the opposition, even if it's really their fault. The other part is that one of the primary reasons we can have unity is that the two parties have very, very different agendas. Uh, you know, Democrats want to expand government-provided health care. Republicans would like to shrink it. Democrats want to expand abortion rights. Republicans would like to eliminate them. Democrats want to increase taxes for the wealthy. Republicans would like to lower them. These are not things where there's just 
there's there's a, a compromise solution just waiting if we all you know roll up our sleeves and and apply common sense solutions no they are they are profound uh ideological and substantive differences between the two parties and so you uh can't have unity what what you ought to have in a, in a better functioning system is that one party wins the election and they get to implement their agenda and then the voters can decide if they like it or not and then return them to office or give the other side a chance the problem is that we have a system with so many kind of veto points that if uh that regularly it happens that a party wins the election but then isn't able to get its agenda into law and so the voters feel like they didn't get anything and then they just bring the other party in and then nothing substantive happens there either uh, and so you don't have the ability to actually do the things that you promise for the party. And in the case of the Republicans now, they know that it will not be difficult for them to put up roadblocks to Joe Biden's agenda because, A, they want him to fail and B, they just don't agree with the things he wants to do. And then they'll be able to say, look, he said he was going to bring us together, but he didn't bring that unity that he promised. Nina, Nina. Yes, Eva Patterson, please. May I make one other point? We can't get away from the white supremacist underpinnings of what went on last week and what the Republicans have been doing for actually 12 years. You may recall when Obama got elected, Mitch McConnell said he was going to make sure nothing Obama did would, would um, get enacted. He was just going to block Obama. A lot of the reason for the ascendancy of Donald Trump is because um, insecure unevolved white people were freaked out at the fact that a black man and a black family was in the White House. This went against their whole deeply ingrained notion that they are intrinsically uh, in, uh, superior to black people. So Trump was able to ride that horse. Also think about the votes that they were contesting. They were contesting votes in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Georgia. And what they were basically saying is that the votes of black people have no right to have any influence on who becomes president. I occasionally, and I guess it's a masochistic view on my part, I will watch Fox News and I watch Tucker Carlson say, how dare people from Detroit get to determine who the president of the United States is. So don't forget that the underpinnings of some of this in, the, in terms of the insurrectionist last week was about white supremacy. And the Republican Party has been very adept at trying to suppress the votes of black people. So don't forget that that's what was going on. It's not a mistake that some of those people were carrying Confederate flags. And also, I'm sure they're, they're upset that a Jewish person is now the senator from Georgia because you had people with t-shirts on that said Camp Auschwitz. How can I have any unity with them? So I think it's important to understand that race is always the third rail of American politics, and it's the underpinning of what was going on on Wednesday and also the path to power for the Republicans. So then, Eva Patterson, do you worry that President-elect Joe Biden's calls for unity will gloss over that very fact? No, because we put him in office. He owes his, candid his candidacy and his presidency particularly to black people and to black women. And we're, you know, we're not going to let him forget that. So, and he's got an African-American, Asian-American vice president. And so you can see that we're, we're not getting as many appointments as I think we should in the administration, but Biden knows he owes 
his presidency to James Clyburn. And the Democrats know that they own this, the recapture of the Senate to Stacey Abrams and Latasha Brown and Black voters, Latino voters, Asian American voters, Jewish voters, and progressive voters in um, Georgia. And we know we have to stand up for ourselves, and we will. We're talking about what is necessary for national unity with Eva Patterson, civil rights leader and co-founder and president of the Equal Justice Society. She also co-founded and chairs the California Coalition for Civil Rights. And Paul Waldman is with us, opinion columnist for the Plumline blog at The Washington Post. And you, our listeners, are with us as well. Let me go to Laurence in Santa Barbara. Hi, Laurence. Hi, how are you? I'm well. What would you like to say? Uh, In answer to your question, you know, how can we have unity? We cannot have unity without courage and without honesty. And to the Republican lawmakers who are fearing for their lives in case they tell the truth, which is that the election was free and fair and that it was not stolen from Donald Trump, he lost. I want to tell them, um, just grow a pair, okay? It's like this is not... Uh, it's not up for debate. And, and how, where would we be if in 1941 uh, our government had said, well, Hitler is too dangerous. We fear for our lives. We can't fight him. This is, this is insane. Laurence, thank you. Uh, Paul Waldman, just to, to think about what Laurence is saying reminds me so much of, I mean, at the very in the very first question that you answered to me, you talked about this fear that Republicans have. But I think what Laurence is raising is, are you any safer if you don't stand up now? Yeah, I don't think so. And there, there's a, a very dangerous thing happening in the Republican Party right now, um, which is a rejection of one of the fundamental foundations of democracy, which is that we have elections and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. And uh, losing is just part of the deal. You know, we saw this when Barack Obama was president, but it was of a, a slightly different character. Back then, I don't know if people will remember, but almost everything that Obama did, Republicans would come out and say, this is tyranny. This is horrifying. How dare he? Uh, and the idea was that if he got elected and tried to do the things that he wanted to do, that that was somehow um, utterly inappropriate and, uh, and could not be countenanced. Now they've gone a step further, which is to say that not only that the things that a Democratic president does are are inherently illegitimate, but any election in which a Democrat wins is inherently illegitimate. And you simply cannot have uh, a a fully functioning Democratic system when one of the two major parties believes that that only elections that it wins are are justifiable and legitimate and therefore that that it can just reject anything that any, any election where the other side is victorious. Um, and so, you know, that that puts us in a dangerous situation. And the, and the other thing I think I think to get to the caller's point that that uh, the, it gets to the way that the members of Congress really are playing with fire and help created the situation. And of course, Donald Trump, too. You know, they do know better. They're not stupid. They know that Joe Biden won, but they are willing to tell their own constituents and their own supporters uh, that the whole thing was was rigged and that the system can't be trusted. Um, and so what happens? You know, I, I've been warning about this for a year since Donald Trump started to talk about this rigged election, is that when you tell people that the system is fundamentally corrupt, 
and that no outcome but you winning can be can be the result of anything other than fraud and then you end up losing what are those people going to conclude you know when we saw all those people rampaging through the capital if you believe the things that they believe then that is a perfectly rational reaction to the to the election if you genuinely believed that this election was stolen from Donald Trump and that there is a cabal of Satan-worshipping, child-trafficking cannibals who are controlling the American government, then of course violence would seem perfectly justified. Of course it would. So you have the Republican Party where they know that their own constituents are utterly bonkers, but yet they sort of give them hints and nods, and some of them maybe more than others, uh, but they think that that's something that they can sort of play with a little bit and use for their own ends, and then it won't come back to bite them. Well, you, now we're seeing what happens when you keep telling people, uh, you keep feeding them a line that leads them to conclude to the conclusion that that violence is the appropriate way to deal with your political grievances. Well, um, yes, Eva Patterson. One thing I've been struggling with is how do we deal, and this is to riff off Paul's point, how do we deal with the lies and propaganda put forth by Fox News um, in these crazy blogs? Because um, people are now adopting their own alternative realities and they're acting on it in the ways that Paul just talked about. And so how, I was talking with a friend of mine and we were trying to figure out does the fairness doctrine have anything to do with this? Do people, do, do um, stations have to tell the truth? And how do we as civil rights activists get to our fellow Americans who are rational and say, no, Trump lost the election. He has packed the federal courts with um, right-wing folks. They even said he won the election. So yes. there's, a, there's a large task yes. that we have of how do we get the truth out there. All questions to further explore right after this break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. The first prerequisite for Unity is agreement on certain facts because if given the wrong information even rational or even reasonable people will come to the wrong conclusions if you are convinced that traitors are trying to steal the election then how are you supposed to react Uh, the problem is that a lot of people do not do a lot of reality testing and uh, will believe anything they see from certain sources they've come to trust. So I guess the problem in the end is too much trust. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We asked our listeners to fill in this blank. We can't have unity without. And what you just heard was a listener talking about and echoing one of our guests' points about the necessity to agree on facts. Other people wrote in with similar sentiments. Nancy writes, and setting aside partisan biases and taking action against voter suppression, racial inequality, and violence to lift up all citizens equally. 
Another listener writes an adherence to facts and improved critical thinking and education, saying writes without acknowledgement of wrongdoing and culpability of these lawmakers who are cynically calling for unity. We cannot have unity without acknowledgement of complicity. Laura writes, unity will take admission of the Republicans as to the gaslighting and lies propagated by Trump for the last four years. Sincere calls for unity will take courage honesty and integrity to begin a basis of trust that has been destroyed by egregious manipulation. I mean, Paul Baldwin, are you hearing in the condemnations of what happened at the Capitol some agreement on facts or any uh, any sign of recognition of responsibility among the Republican Party and especially Trump's biggest enablers? Well, it's sporadic. I mean, uh, nobody uh, in Congress is saying that it was a good thing that this crowd rampaged through the Capitol and resulting in five people's deaths. But, you know, they're they're trying to make sure that they don't take their own responsibility for it. And some are giving some blame to Donald Trump, but others are trying to say it wasn't his fault and that, you know, he uh, called and things like that. So, you know, I think that you always have to look when you're evaluating what politicians do at the incentives that they have and how they think that things are going to play out for them. Um, and this has been the kind of the story of the Republican Party is that, um, you know, they don't have much of an incentive to to try to achieve unity. Uh, it, it, it's not only because that as a whole, their base tends to be very angry and tends to want them to be to be fighters. Um but uh, also because that that's what it comes down to for each individual member. You know, the typical Republican member of Congress, they don't have to worry about getting ousted by a Democrat in the next election because, you know, the way that congressional districts are gerrymandered, they, they probably only have to fear that they could get in a, a challenge from the right in a primary. And so they're always looking to their right flank. And um, uh, so when a controversy comes up like this, the their interest is going to be in, you know, how can I, what can I say that will make sure that I'm secure with my conservative base and that they're not going to get angry at me. And I'm not going to get an angry tweet from Trump that will, um, you know, make, get me a primary challenger. And that's still a danger too. You know, Trump may look weak right now, um, but it's, you know, he has a, a history of turning his ire on particular members of Congress and then tweeting out that they're, you know, they're, traitors, they're unfaithful, and somebody should run against them. And then sometimes someone does, and that person's career is over. So that is very, uh, very much in the minds of Republicans. And so, you know, they're always going to be looking to the right. And the other thing is also, you have to look at sort of who is in Congress um, these days. Um, and this is something, uh, a point that I know uh, Matt Iglesias has made. Uh, you look at the Democrats versus the Republicans. You know, a lot, the Democrats tend to have been there for longer, um, and it's part, they're the party of government. They're interested in doing things. If you look through, around the Republican caucus, you see a lot of people who didn't have a lot of political experience, um, are much more kind of uh, angry ideologues who came to Congress recently. Are not really interested in governing so much. They're not trying to pass bills. Uh, they're there to do a kind of performative ideological extremism um and they haven't been there very long and you know they're they're going to be the ones who are much more interested in whether i can get on newsmax saying you know stirring up the anger of the crowd than they are in thinking about you know can i come up with some 
a new version of the earned income tax credit that help, might help alleviate poverty. Um, and so, so much, it isn't that there's nobody in the Republican Party who is serious about legislating, but their numbers are pretty small. And so much of the party is always pushing in the most extreme direction and always uh, pushing its own base to be more angry and more extreme. And then, of course, you have uh, the, the whole conservative media, which is built on anger and resentment uh, and outrage. And that pushes and rewards Republican members for echoing that kind of thing. So then, I mean, if, as our listeners are saying, as both you and Eba are saying that, you know, agreement on facts and um, and an ability, a willingness to acknowledge and admit complicity, and what many other listeners are saying, accountability is required, right, to be able to have some kind of unity or, or you know, some coming together. For example, our listeners, Day, Irene, and Millie all wrote that we can't have unity without accountability. Th then what are we facing? How are the next few years going to play out in your in your view, Paul Wellman? I'm very, very worried. Uh, I think that this is going to be a period not only of a lot of anger and strife in Washington, but I think that we are going to see regular outbreaks of violence. All of those Trump uh, supporters who, as I said, now believe that the political system is no longer the adequate forum for their uh, for the place where they can get redress for their grievances. Um, enough of them are going to decide that violence is the appropriate response. And I think we're going to see um, uh, outbreaks of bombings. I think we're going to see, uh, you know, you, you now have all these members of Congress who are going and getting bulletproof vests because they, they're worried their own constituents will murder them. You know, it was it was 10 years ago this month that Gabby Giffords was shot in Tucson. And uh, at the time, you know, we thought that was a story about gun control more than anything else. Um, but now uh, I think that there, you know, I'm, I, it, it's horrible to say, but I would not be surprised if we see another member of Congress or more than one assassinated. And I think that that's going to be kind of the, the, the sort of uh, undertow of everything that uh, of all of our politics is this threat of violence that, it, that it's going to be happening occasionally and it's going to always be on everyone's minds. And meanwhile, Back in Washington, uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden are going to be trying to enact some kind of an agenda. Now, you know, there, there's an optimistic uh, set of predictions, too. We could say that, well, you know, we have vaccines for the coronavirus and we're going to get past this pandemic sometime this year and the economy will improve as a consequence. And maybe everyone will start to feel better. And maybe Biden will be successful enough that he'll convince Americans that you can actually have government that works. Um, and that we'll kind of get back to a place where we can have our political arguments without them being always colored by the threat of violence. I certainly hope that's what happens. Um, but I, you know, the last four years has has made me pretty pessimistic. And I'm afraid that we may be headed for an extremely dark time. Hmm. Well, let me go to Will in Guerneville. Hi, Will. Yes, thank you, and excellent comments, all of you. Thank you so much. As a son of uh, parents who has narrowly escaped Nazi Germany at age 68, I find myself ironically considering moving back to Germany to escape American fascism. I feel like I'm in a dysfunctional marriage that's come to blows with more coming. I would propose uh, at least uh, considering a trial separation. That's what people do when they can't get along. Bring out the lawyers, not the guns. 48 years, maybe form a commonwealth. As a progressive, I feel like I'm on a, I'm tethered to a ball and chain with the South and the other red states, going to the bottom of the sea while we're fighting in the waves, while the tide of climate change is taking us all out to sea. I'll take my comments off the air. Thank you. Well, 
will, I mean, bring out the lawyers, not the guns. I mean, this listener writes justice. This means prosecuting all involved in enabling, supporting, and lying for this tyrant. All must understand via prosecution that actions have consequences. Those who supported them must see their decision warrants an about face. Otherwise, nothing changes. And Todd writes, in this case, impeachment is unity. Congress cannot function if the member, staff, and facility are being attacked or under threat of ongoing attack and personal safety. Prosecute and purge those aiding and inciting the sedition, and only then can they get to work in good faith. I mean, is that, Eva Patterson, where you think the hope lies in terms of unity is just a prosecution that would would you know cement the notion that what happened was terribly terribly wrong um yes and i have a really different take on what's about to happen you have lots of people going this is not who we are we're better than this as an african-american i go no this is exactly who we are as a country and think about it in little ways you had the first black president and the Republicans said, we're going to block anything he does. He, there are horrible caricatures done of his wife. There's incredible racism that goes on. Um, I hear Mr. Waldman talking about the assassination of Congress people. But think about on a daily basis, unarmed Black men are shot dead. And we now know that law enforcement has been infiltrated by white supremacists. One of the things that didn't get a lot of attention from last Wednesday was these people reenacted the murder of George Floyd on the steps of the Capitol. So as, as you start getting freaked out when you see what's going on and you see armed people in, in the Capitol. And then you saw troops sleeping in the Capitol. And at first I was going, what's going on? And then I thought, well, this feels like the Civil War times. This feels like, you know, bombing of, of churches in Birmingham. Uh, these people have been around since the beginning. I, I hear the brother talking about moving to Germany. I'm not leaving. This is my country. My people helped build this country. We have been at war with racists for since 1619. So it's just, it's kind of like a lot of people are are feeling, when, when Trump was elected, a lot of people felt the way Black people have felt our whole lives, like, oh my God, what's going on? It's like, welcome to our world. So um, these are horrible people, but there, I think there are people in the middle, these are my classmates from high school, who aren't people who want to kill Black people and want to uh, storm the Capitol. But um, this is partially who we are as Americans. I think Paul's right. I think a lot of crazy stuff's going to go on, but a lot of crazy stuff's been going on since 1619. So then what do you think when you hear, for example, our listeners say we can't have unity without forgiveness and moving forward, respectful listening to those with whom we disagree politically? Uh, that's from John. Frankie writes, setting aside one's biases and listening. Another person writes, we can't have unity without norm writing, without a sincere desire for it on both sides. What is your reaction to that, Eva Patterson? This, this may sound corny, but I was actually praying about this last night because I knew um, I was going to be on and that people will be hearing my words. And I do believe in a concept of restorative justice, of forgiveness. Um, but I don't think I can apply that standard to somebody who beats somebody up with a fire extinguisher. That person needs to go to prison. If there are people who just were ill-informed and now they go, oh yes, I guess Biden really did win and I was just misled by Fox News, I can, I can talk with them. 
but there are people, there is evil in the world. Um, and there are there were people who went into the Capitol who hate black people, who hate Jews, who hate Republicans. There was a sign in front of the Capitol that said, Pelosi is Satan. I was going like, what? So how can I have, I can have forgiveness in my heart for them, but just as I might forgive the person who breaks into my home, I will forgive them knowing that they're in prison and cannot break into my home again. And maybe when they're in prison, they can learn better ways. This is a very tricky time because we do want to have hearts filled with love, but not when that will end up with having people who feel it's okay to storm the Capitol out running around. So I, I think this is a very difficult spiritual, psycho psychological, and political moment. How do you deal with the fact that there are people who mean you harm? Think about after the Civil War. We might have forgiven the Confederates, but they were barred from running for office. Um, and so this is, I think this is a very difficult time for us. I haven't sorted it all out in my own mind. I'm trying to have love in my heart, but I also don't want these people killing me. Eva Patterson, a civil rights leader and co-founder and president of the Equal Justice Society. Paul Waldman is also with us of the Washington Post, opinion columnist for the Plumline blog and a senior writer at the American Prospect. And you, our listeners, are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. What gives you solace or any hope, Paul Waldman? <laughs> and I'm sorry to phrase it that way, but I am just curious, given that you can cut through so much of, of what you're hearing as the hypocrisy and the political um, maneuvering and political interests that are at play in so much of the messaging, especially from Republicans. Well, I guess the thing to do is to take the longest view you possibly can. And, you know, there's a lot, uh, if you're a liberal, um, you, I think that one of the things that has happened over the last few years is that for many of us, that our expectations have been tempered. You know, when I think back now about how hopeful people were when Barack Obama took office in 2009, you know, I think, ah, I was so naive. <laughs> but, you know, I think that it does give you a perspective on, for instance, what Joe Biden can accomplish. And there is a great deal. You know, legislation is going to be really difficult. There's going to be a lot of knockdown, drag out fights. But there's also uh, a lot that can that can be accomplished and things that can be made better. If your expectation is not that the right president will transform American society and bring about um, the nirvana that you've been hoping for, um, then you can see uh, how a lot of progress can be made. And that's really, you know, that's the story of American politics. It's the story of America. It's two steps forward and one step back and slow and steady improvement in people's lives and expansion of, of liberty to more and more people. Um, and, you know, I think that, that uh, Biden, who was somebody who I was very critical of during the primaries, I think there are a lot of things about him that will, that may make him um, uh, the right president for the moment and be able to accomplish things that, um, that maybe someone else wouldn't, or maybe um, that that are more than than a lot of people expect. You know, it, there, there's so many reasons to be pessimistic, but you know, there there is a lot of progress that can be made, and a lot of progress that he can make even without legislation. And you know, it's entirely possible that six months from now, Donald Trump will uh, just be on late night TV hawking whatever you know the new incarnation of Trump steaks is, 
um, and will feel as though his, you know, it was sort of a bad dream that we lived through. I don't know if that's the most likely outcome, but it's certainly possible. And, you know, the, the, the future is not assured and we can all work to create the, the better country that we want to see. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't want to make anyone despondent as I spin out some of the worst case scenarios, because I think we have to be on guard for those things. Um, but the future might might also be better than we expect. And I should say that, like, the thing that gives me hope right now is envisioning, like, six or eight months from now when I'll actually be able to, like, go to a movie and see my family and friends. And the, the, the thought of that is just so extraordinary that that gives me hope more than anything else. Well, there's this. Yes, Eva something? Patterson. Fine. Final uh, thought to you. We have about 30 seconds. Civil rights lawyer will get decent judges who believe Brown versus the Board of Education was rightly decided. Think of all the horrible things Trump did. He gave uh, uh, support for white supremacists. There are lots of things Biden can do and a lot of the things he's going to be able to do because he's white. And so um, I, I feel hopeful. I think there's going to be craziness, but there's always been craziness in America. Well, Alexa writes, we can't have unity without accountability, consensus on reality, which means holding instigators of lies and hatred accountable and addressing the country's racist past and present at all levels. Eva Patterson, thank you so much for joining us. Paul Waldman, thank you to you as well. Ariana Prail produced today's segment. Appreciate our listeners who shared their insights as well. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.